Hey, it's Aldwin. And I'm Jason. This is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. We put our shit together so that we can entertain you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Come back to life, Dick Edward. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? I think I feel like it's another ass comment, but Jason Jason just called you on your bluff and you, you came back and you called us an albatross? I don't know what that is. Do you know what this is? It's called entertainment in all caps. Time. Ready? Play. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Aldwin. I'm coming to you from my bedroom outside of Quebec City. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you, she's on vacay. Yeah, it's been very nice. Um, my bum is tight from two hikes I've done already. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going <laughs> to go with that initial comment. <laughs> two hikes and the knee is only clicking when the hike is steep. Oh, that's good. That's good news. Yeah. So there's less creakiness. There's still a little bit of creakiness, but not so noticeable on the hikes. Just occasional clicking and popping. Well, you know what? I hope that everyone in our Winter Team Tennis League is going to listen to this podcast because when I played this past Saturday, if I had a quarter for every time I said torn meniscus, I'd <laughs> probably be a millionaire. So y'all can listen to this episode and find out for yourself what is wrong with Jason and his current status in terms of his recovery. Yeah, WebMD that shit. <laughs> it sounds worse than it actually is it's just really kind of annoying you and i played um a week or so ago and it was you know it's it's probably not something i should be doing regularly just yet but i wanted to get out there and hit and there were certain balls that i just wouldn't move to because you would blow them by me and i would struggle to get to them but um yeah, I think soon I'll be back, and I've been sort of given the thumbs up to play doubles, so I will be doing that when I get back. <laughs> Please come back soon, because our doubles match <laughs> on Saturday, mine, my doubles match with Joe, who subbed for you, was a hot mess. But whatever, that's for another episode. The score looked close. Girl, don't even. Honestly, I can't. I can't go into that right now. We'll okay. talk about it another time. <laughs> another time. Okay, we want to talk today about Indian Wells. It has wrapped. It feels like we're nearing the end. We're sunsetting out of the season, out of the desert, and into the sunset of tennis in 2021. Uh-huh. I know. We're done in the desert. All of the IG stories that we've been following it particularly mugu who went from being in the desert to now being in moscow because she's playing there currently and the ig story of her like zipping up her coat because it's freezing cold in <laughs> moscow right now like i can't imagine how one would prepare themselves for that climate change like it's crazy yeah that is quite the difference. And I always love checking out IG after a player has lost because they're either like hiking somewhere or shopping or <laughs> a, when it comes to Indian Wells, they were like near the beach somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, it is, you know, when you're a top player, it is quite the life. And, you know, I know we'll talk a little bit later about a player who's a little bit frustrated with where he's at <laughs> at the moment. Um but we wanted to talk, I think, about the men first. Mm -hmm. Yes. We have a new Masters 1000 title holder. I think every everyone uh, of the tournaments had a different uh, winner, except Zverev was a two-time Masters 1000 winner this year. Mm, okay. I immediately think of our Indian Wells preview episode. I can't even remember past a week ago <laughs> who I chose to be the men's winner of Indian Wells but it definitely was not Cam Nori <laughs> wait wait I think I know who you I mean last week you chose Tommy Paul I did I chose Tom I chose Tommy Paul last week week one I'm not sure who you picked I picked Medvedev and you know that BDE didn't carry him <laughs> in through his next match Listen, his BDE carried him to the first set against Dimitrov and 
five one, I believe. You know, uh, initially, I think it was four one, but yeah, it was hot. Tommy said it was five one. Was but anyway, it? Yeah, pretty sure. Oh my god. Anyway, okay. anyway, I whatever. Tommy. Tommy's on all over that stuff. Four one five one BDE energy. You know, closing in on the big three. You're not. If you're Medvedev, you're not losing this match. What? prayer Dimitras, Dimitrov sent into the heavens to get him to come back in that match I don't know but remember last week when I was saying oh my well I didn't say it last week on the podcast but on our IG story I was like I'm so annoyed because Jason asked me he's like who's the men's player that's kind of impressed you the most in this first week and number one on my list was Grigor because he's been playing so well, and lo and behold, the guy pulls off the the upset of the tournament. Tournament. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, surprising. I know you felt really badly that you completely <laughs> lost your brain for fifteen minutes and forgot to talk about Dimitrov. That you did a story for him. Yeah. Uh, on our IG the next day when our episode came out, and mm-hmm. um, he fully pulled a Medvedev on Medvedev. Okay, so. I'm going to ask you, what was his turnaround moment? What was it about his game that you saw clicked that ended up giving him the victory in the end? Well, clearly, I must not have been paying too much attention because I didn't know it was 5-1 and not 4-1 in the second <laughs> set. But there there was a point where he just wasn't missing. And, mm. um, you know, Medvedev couldn't stay in the rallies and couldn't hang with Dimitrov. Like, like I said, he just pulled a Medvedev and started uh, not missing. There were points in the match where Dimitrov looked like he was going to keel over because the rallies were, you know, 18, 20 ball rallies, Uh but um, continued to fight, continued to stay in it. Uh, He's not, old for a tennis perspective <laughs> he's he's older than Medvedev at 30 but he's obviously wears down a bit more but he was able to hang in there and Medvedev um as we said last week he is cool calm and collected until he's not and yeah. he was flustered and frustrated at being out Medvedev by Gregor it, listen that quarterfinal day was upset city yeah. Every single quarterfinal. I mean, you had Basilashvili versus Tsitsipas, Fritz versus Verev, Dimitrov versus Herkash. He had just come off his win against Medvedev. And then Cam Nori versus Schwartzman. That one would have been more like, you know, kind of a toss up. But I don't know. That quarterfinal day was just everything went so close. And, you know, I think the most surprising. To me, the most surprising quarterfinal on the men's side was the Zvera Fritz one. Because first of all, where did Fritz come from? Mm-hmm. Was he was he inspired because he was playing in a home tournament, at a home tournament? Zverev, as you know, has been my kind of um, consistently solid and proving himself continuously this entire season. And listen, yes, he did lose 7-6 in the third set tiebreak, but that's still such a surprising result for me. I did not expect him to lose to Fritzy. Yeah, I mean, what was the tournament where Fritz was wheeled out on a wheelchair? <laughs> like, that was only three or four months ago. <laughs> I don't remember. And then he, the tournament he came back uh, maybe was Cincinnati, and he made, like, the third round. Um. Yeah, and this is, I guess you would consider his home tournament because he grew up down the street. Uh, I saw clips where his mom was at the match. His mom, I guess, is a former (laughs) pro tennis player. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that is definitely a good result for him. Um, Yeah. He he took out Sinner. He took out Berrettini. Like, he was the giant killer, I think, of this tournament. And obviously it takes out Zverev. He took In out the Berrettini pretty easily. Yeah, four and three. Yeah. 
so I don't know. I, I need to take a bit of a dive into uh, Taylor Fritz, just like I did with Tommy Paul last week. Mm-hmm. I got to figure out this guy. And ha- as we have with Opelka. Like, we we, mm. we are realizing, I think, that we need to start to get to know a bit more some of these American players who yes. are up and coming, you know, uh-huh. beyond Tiafo and, and, and um, Sebastian Corda. These are guys we've started to get to know. So we need to get to know all of them and put them all together and like roll them up into a little ball and see who's going to come out on top. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> but it was obviously a good um, run for Fritz, and he ran into Basilashvili in the semis, and mm-hmm. Basilashvili hits the ball hard as f. I don't think his ground strokes average his ground strokes average. I think at least eighty miles an hour, mm-hmm. so or eighty kilometers. I don't know what they what they um, gauge them at at the. At the U.S. tournament, it's miles per hour. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very hard. Um, but Cam Norrie took him out. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, the semifinals were a letdown, right? Because you had Dimitrov and Fritz, the big, the biggest stories, among the biggest stories on the men's side at, the, at Indian Wells. And they just, I mean, Dimitrov was surprising to me having take out, taken out Medvedev, the number one seed, and he lost pretty handily to Cameron Norrie. Now, okay, this is where my education on Cameron Norrie started. I, yes, we've talked about it on the podcast. He's had fairly consistent results this year. Um, have I paid particular attention to his matches, watching them from beginning to end? That would be a no. <laughs> but But let me just say, I did watch him post-match Grigor Dimitrov. Let's just talk about his unorthodox play for a second. Mm-hmm. Why does his backhand look stiff as hell? And how is that, you know, it just was such a curiosity to me that this guy, Cam, is now the Indian Wells champion. Like his game doesn't look special to me at all. And I'm just, I'm not trying to read him, but I'm just curious why. Like, mm-hmm. what is it? Well, I mean, not. It's probably not an a, an exact comparison, but particularly on his backhand, he has a similar sort of short backswing. If as you would compare to someone like Layla, like I think on her forehand, she has a very compact swing, and somehow there's power that gets developed in that that short backswing that he's hitting the ball flat at like you you'd think it's not going to go over but he hits the ball flat and hard and somehow he's not missing i first caught him this year in a match against dominic kupfer in mm-hmm. Acapulco, and uh. i was impressed by both of them um and i really wanted both of them to do well because obviously they're both kind of cute Um, but, um, but Cam has been the guy who's stood out the whole season, making it, I think, to five or six finals and now taking his second title. Yeah. You know, I watched his post-match interview with Tennis TV after his semifinal and he kind of let us into what his game style is all about and he was saying that the reason why his 2021 season has been so successful and been such a turnaround is because he's felt that particularly on the return he's been able to get you know his returns in and his style of tennis is about working a point he's like i'm i'm glad to hit 25 million balls that's when i play my best tennis he um loves neutralizing balls so you want to play someone like Karatsev, you want to play someone like Basilashvili, sure, babe, like, try to hit me off the court, I'm just going to neutralize your damn balls, and then surprise you every now and then with, like, you know, a ball that picks up the pace a little bit. So he is, I can imagine him to be a very frustrating player to play against, and I think that's what happened to, to Basilashvili in the final. I mean, that first set, Basilashvili was on point, um... Cam wasn't really finding the range, but you know, this guy has a you know uh, a game plan, and then the last two sets were just about him outlasting him, you know. And that third set, that sixth one was just like, <laughs> you know, how anyone would be after spending so much time, you know, trying to 
hit winners, but having to play a 10th or 11th or 12th ball. <laughs> I mean, Nicolas, 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 yeah, just had had no more gas. He had the he, girl, he had no more gas. The girl had no more gas. Cam was up 3 1 in that first set, and Nicolas won the next five games. So Cam oh. could have, if he had sort of continued his momentum, it would have been a straight sets win. Okay. Potentially. Potentially. <laughs> um, but congrats to him, obviously. Um, it's nice to sort of uh, see a player who's clearly a hard worker. Um, doesn't look necessarily quick, but seems to get to every ball. Um, mm-hmm. Be doing really well. And a Brit. Yeah, exactly. Following up uh, Emma Raducanu's win at the U.S. Open, the Brits are doing really well. Mm-hmm. And Andy Murray's back again. Uh-huh. Doing I well. Know. W- anyone else you want to talk about on the men's side? Um, no. <laughs> I do have... Okay. I think that we should, again, take a little bit of a deeper dive into Cam. Uh, thank you to um, Allison, who sent us <laughs> a DM of Cam Nori jumping rope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I saw that you shared that story. <laughs> Shirtless uh, Cam Nori jumping rope in white shorts. You know, we are a gay podcast, so that was very, <laughs> appre- very much appreciated. Thank you, Allison. We love you. <laughs> um, but, you know, for us to get to know Cam a little better, for our uh, listeners to get to know Cam a little bit better, I have a little Cam quiz. Ooh. And <laughs> you, who knows? Maybe you do know. Maybe you do know a little bit more about Cam than, you know, I perhaps imagine. I'm going to say probably not, but here we go. Okay. So when Cam was a junior, what country did he represent? And, you know, that's kind of a leading question because you would figure I wouldn't ask this question if it was Great Britain. Right. Obvi. Um, is it Scotland? Nor. Okay, it is, in the, it is in the Commonwealth. I'll give you that. Okay. So it might be Ireland? Nor. Like, get out of the, get out of the UK. Get out of the UK. Oh, get out. so maybe Australia? Oh, you're getting warmer. New Zealand. New Zealand. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Fourth chime's the charm. <laughs> uh-huh. So quick little story there. Uh, Cam and his parents moved to New Zealand when he was very young. Um, started to take an interest in tennis because both of his parents played squash. And uh, when he started to do really well in the juniors, <laughs> the New Zealand tennis junior program, I don't know what the official name for that would be, but <laughs> they funded him um, with a couple thousand dollars. So his parents were like, we got to bounce back to Britain <laughs> because <laughs> the support in New Zealand is just, there's no money there. Yeah. So New Zealand. Okay. We should kind of know this. I didn't, but I had a recollection of it. When and where did Cam win his first ATP title? Oh, I know this. I, sh- I should know this. Oh. He... He played a final in France against Tsitsipas and lost that event. Uh-huh. And he won soon after that. And I believe it was an indoor event, but I'm not going to get it. I can't remember. I don't think it was indoor. No. Lo- Los Cabos. Mexico. Beat his, his uh, I don't know if his friend, but Brendan Nakashima. Okay. One of the American young ones that we got to get to know better. Gotcha. Yeah. We have some work to do. You know, we shouldn't have a podcast unless we know all the players in the top 100. Well, listen, we're being (laughs) very vulnerable and transparent about what we know and what we don't know. And people like it and love it. Yeah. Okay. Last question on our Cam quiz. Who is Cam's ATP tour bestie? (laughs) I like like him. I kind (laughs) of like him. Is he in the top 50? He definitely is in the top 50. He is, okay, um, his frame is quite slight. And um, I feel like if I give this clue, it's just a dead giveaway. Alex D. Manure. Wow. Wow. How did you know? You were going to say Hitler mustache. (laughs) Baby Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Baby Hitler. (laughs) 
what what's yes. um what's uh tell me their vibe like why do they get along so well they just i guess they knew each other on the juniors they are practicing a lot together and uh, cam shared a story that uh, on the practice court <laughs> one day alex was just chopping him up all over the place like ginsued his ass so hard <laughs> and cam was like i've got a lot to learn from that guy and you know it's yeah alex is a crafty kathy you know with his slice and coming in and you know all court games so yeah they just have a lot to learn from each other i guess getting every ball back Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. MFR gets every ball back. <laughs> There's your cam quiz. That's a good game. I like that. That was fun. Thank you very much for choosing me to answer those questions. <laughs> Not that there was anybody else who could do that. Uh, okay, over to the ladies in the desert. We yeah. have a new sort of major tournament winner in Paula. Bedosa. Yay, Maria Sharapova. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Paula Bedosa. <laughs> Why did you say Maria Sharapova? Girl, please. Everyone thinks <laughs> that she is like Maria Sharapova to a T. Not only does she look like her, but she plays like her. I don't, and, I don't really think she plays like her. Oh, I, think I feel like of- she plays a little bit more like her final opponent. Vika? Yeah. Okay, uh, can I ask why? What is it? Okay, what are the the cornerstones of their game? Um, I feel like they're just, they're both very solid off the ground. Um, mm-hmm. Forehand, backhand. I think Vika attacks the second serve. And so does Paula. Uh-huh. Um, at least if in watching that match. Um, and I think they they sort of reset the point in the same way so i don't know i feel like that comparison i i feel like maria bludgeons the ball a bit more than than the other two and especially on on the forehand okay well you know as i've mentioned before the glta players lounge is a source of information for us here at the ready play tennis podcast and it seems to me that a lot of people are drawing that comparison. I do see a Maria Sharapova-esque, not only in just the physicality, they both look, I mean, not that they their, their face looks similar, but I, I do find that their stroke production looks very similar. Their forehands and their backhands look kind of similar. Their serves really don't look similar. But I, I would say that if anything, Paula has more of a loopier forehand, a little bit more of a loopier forehand. Loop. The word loop is um, a misleading word, but she definitely has more spin. Yeah. And it's less flat to me. Yeah. yeah. But what a great final. What, they called it the best the best match in on the women's tour this entire year. Three yeah. hours of just bludgeoning the ball. Yeah. And, you know, Vika staying in it despite losing the close first set, pumping uh-huh. herself up. The entire start of the second set, going up three love, taking that mm-hmm. second set six two. It was a phenomenal match. <laughs> it was just nice to see Vika could contend for a final again. I just felt really bad for her because it just seems that, you know, dis- did she kind of have a tough twenty twenty one? Yes, she had a really stellar twenty twenty. But I feel like in like the big finals in the matches the u.s open final um this indian wells final like i thought that this indian wells final could be for her like a redemption tournament because she's had kind of a terrible i won't say terrible but she has had an underwhelming 2020 season so it would be nice to cap off her year with you know what i what we would a lot of people will consider the fifth grand slam but she lost to Mar- um, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> she just lost to Maria. Paula. <laughs> That's cute. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, one of the happiest moments, I think, for many, if we're talking about the GLTA, was the fact <laughs> that Paula did win because you got to see her boyfriend put oh his arms behind his head <laughs> and expose his pits and his biceps and his cuteness. Yeah, he's a Cuban model. I, you know, the thir- the thirst the thirst was real. Someone posted a picture of that boyfriend. Yes, is he a good-looking man for sure? Um, I mean, 
that look is a, a dime a dozen. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not going to say no to it, but I'm also not going to say yes to it. <laughs> when we were watching it and the match ended and Wade saw it, he's like, he's doing that on purpose. <laughs> He's doing what? He's, the pits? Yeah, the, he's showing his pits and like posing and modeling for the TV on purpose. <laughs> he's like, he's like, my girl is going to win this championship. I'm going to book more contracts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have to talk about Paula's path, pa- the Paula path. Okay. She beat I... some mother effers. Okay, can I ask you a question first? Maybe, okay, I'm going to ask you the question first, and then you're just going to assess whether it's the right time to answer it, and we'll (laughs) just go that way, okay? Okay, sounds good. So this is my critical question. Everyone listen, pay pay close attention to this question, because you can create a dissertation around this one pivotal question this evening, okay? Paula Bedosa and Garbina Muguruza, both Spanish players... And both, you know, talking about similar game styles, to me, very similar game styles. They both have solid forehands and backhands. They both have solid serves. They both don't like going to the net, that's for sure. And they both at times have very good defensive games. So why Paula and not Mugu? That's my question. What is it? Are there any specific details about... Paula's game right now that is just garnering her better luck or better success. That's what what my question was to myself when I was watching the final. Well, do you want to answer it? (laughs) No, 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 you go. You go first. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, (laughs) I think she just generally has more variety in how she plays points, how she resets points. We've talked about Mugu's sort of one-dimensional approach Mm. to hitting the ball off the ground Uh and uh, i think badosa's approach is to keep the ball in the court and mugu sometimes doesn't doesn't care about that yeah i I would agree that there is a difference in their defensive game yeah paula definitely has a stronger defensive game and she is more um she can pull from a variety of shots in her arsenal to reset herself in a point. So that's an, that's an important factor. Okay. We'll take that as the first um, body paragraph of the thesis. (laughs) And she sometimes (laughs) employs the drop shot too, which I don't see Mugu use very often. (laughs) Does she even know how to hit a drop shot? (laughs) (laughs) We'll ask her when she comes on the show. (laughs) She, okay, sure, 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 sure. Um, What about the serve? Do you, do you notice a difference in the serve? Haven't paid too much attention to her serve. So I admittedly, I haven't watched a ton of her matches until this event. And okay. by a ton of matches at this event, I watched <laughs> her semifinal and her final. I uh, bet you know, her semifinal and final were really kind of good indicators as uh, as to what she was doing really well. So I do agree with you. Her defensive game is definitely different from Mugu's. I would say another slight difference is Paula's serve. She can hit a flat serve and she can hit a slice serve and she can also hit a, um, a topspin serve. Like a kick serve? And she serve. can, a kick serve. She really can kind of hit any of those serves and place them wherever she wants in the box. Whereas Mugu kind of has the same path. And the same kind of ball. So it is very, yeah, it is very one-dimensional. All her balls kind of look the same to me. So does that mean you have or you see more of an upside for Badosa going forward? Yeah, I think so. I think that Mugu's got to take a look at this 2021 year. And, you know, what what a change from the beginning of the year when she was remember do you remember mm-hmm. at the australian open she was the one everyone was like oh she's got it she's the one and that match against osaka in the fourth round i think was the match to determine the winner of the whole slam now she just kind of fallen into a rut and i think she has to reevaluate what her game is and how it compares to what other women are doing yeah maybe she needs to get a new coach <laughs> Like join the um, Emma Raducanu train? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but uh, Conchita was the last Spaniard to make the final there 25 years ago. Yeah, but... Okay. 
Not the, no, that, I like. I, really. I love Conchita. No, you know what? I'm not gonna say that. I love a Conchita moment. Yeah, we just talk need about a variety. Bit, yeah, exactly. We need to give her some of that Conchita. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Paula beat Yastremska. That uh-huh. was her first three set match, mm-hmm. and then she was straight sets through to the final where she beat Goff Krajikova. She, Goff, yep. she beat two and two, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like slaughtered her. Krajikova, she beat one and five. Kerber, mm-hmm. four and five. Jabour, three and three, although it was a tougher match than the scoreline indicates. Okay. And Azarenka, as we know, three hours, one of the best matches of the year. Um, Going back to... Okay, Kerber. Uh, surprising to you that... I mean that was a that was not a easy match. I think Kerber is never an easy match. No, Kerber has been playing really well. So um, mm-hmm. again, not a match that I saw. I think we were recording that day, or it it was one of the late matches. Yes, and I think uh, it was going on. Yeah, babies had to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, kudos to beating somebody who's been in form. Uh, she ran into a tough Layla, obviously, at the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open. And, um, yeah, she's she's not anyone you can mess with. So to have taken her out um, in straight sets is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, Bedosa had a phenomenal tournament. It was definitely not a case of the draw opening up for her. I mean, she beat four top 20 players on her way. Mm-hmm. And barely beat Vika. Yeah. Really just barely beat her. So it's definitely a legitimate win. Yeah. And Aldwin didn't screw up there. Vika is not a top 20 player at the moment. What is she, number 20? She, well, she was ranked uh, 27 in the event. I don't know exactly uh-huh. her, her like tour ranking because there was obviously a bunch of players not in Indian Wells. But um, yeah, it was. I would say overall it was a good... I was more invested in the ladies tournament this go around than the men mm-hmm. okay can we um talk about who remember last week i you asked me who's your pick on the lady side i'm like i'm not going to jinx her <laughs> i'm not well i'm it didn't matter anyway because my pick was going to be annette <laughs> Contivite. yeah but the person that she lost to <clears throat> i thought was the one that looked the best mm-hmm out of everyone in the quarterfinals, on Onzi, yeah, things were on for her. <laughs> <laughs> she, I mean, she played phenomenally well, and not only did she play well, but she made headlines this week. Yes, right? she's the Be- first Arab women's player or men's. Yeah. I don't know. Is it both? Both. Both to be both. in the top ten. Yeah, woohoo. Yes for representation. Yes we can. <laughs> <laughs> yes, girl. And I I mean, personality wise, she's she's just fun and cool <laughs> for the sport. Like she gives off a good vibe and she clearly has fun when she's out there. Yeah, okay. So I th- thank you for saying that because there is a Twitter thread that I saw on my way to work one day. I'm not sure whether you saw this, Jay, but her and Paula Bedosa are apparently very friendly <laughs> with each other. And I mean, not friendly in that way, like where they, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're they're just they <laughs> sorry. They um they're friends. Okay, let's just put it that way. And so they had this really fun Twitter exchange where <laughs> um I think it was Ons that initiated the exchange and she said something like, hey, so are you ready for our match tomorrow? And Paula's like, ugh, whatever, our match, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then Ons is like, I'm going to send you some cheeseburgers <laughs> or so- or something to that effect so that, you know, you can eat them all and you won't be prepared for our match. And then Paula responds with like, you know, these uh, the the you know, eye roll emojis, emojis. the eye, or the the cheeseburger <laughs> burger emojis. <laughs> it was such a fun and cute exchange. There needs to be more of that vibe yeah. because that is just so cool that you can be very friendly but also just get into it for the semifinals. Yeah, we we've talked <laughs> a lot. I think about or we've we've watched a lot of different videos of 
the WTA players and their interactions at the net and sort of how it, it comes off as not friendly. And I think there are players like Ons who people, everybody sort of universally loves uh-huh. on the tour. Yes. Because she's just fun and seems nice and she's a great player um, and seems to be like someone you would want to hang out with. Totally. She's a perfect candidate to be the next guest on our show. Oh, I like that. I love her. I, we want to have Ons on. Yeah. Ons, get, <laughs> get on our show. <laughs> I Sorry, can I, I have another question for you. Um, having said that Ons looked the best in the latter half of the Indian Wells tournament, um, what was it about that semifinal? I mean, you did talk to this talk to this offline with me Mm -hmm. but i think it bears noting because it's a good observation of her game so what what do you think it was i what i observe when i watch her is the things that make her sometimes unplayable are the things that make her beatable Mm. it's her she's obviously very crafty um she can hit the ball uh, pretty much anywhere, and everybody's need. Everybody needs to watch out for that drop shot because she <laughs> she will employ it eight hundred times in yes. a single match, even if she's missed, you know, four hundred and fifty <laughs> of them. But I think that's what that's what causes her to lose matches. Is she gets a bit the looseness of her play wins mm. her matches, but it also loses her matches. Mm. Is what I'll say. Shot selection. Um, yes, shot selection. Just um, being intentional. Um, and I sometimes the pace of her play gets her into trouble. And we, I think mm. we've talked about this with Simona Halep, for example. Like when she gets frustrated or annoyed, she plays like super quick. Like every, every point is five seconds after the shot clock has started. Uh-huh. Uh, Ons plays super quick as well. Like the camera is sometimes not even on her as she's in her service motion. That's how fast she's playing. <laughs> like Steffi mode. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So I think she just needs to sort of rein that in a little bit, rein that sort of looseness in in some way. And I don't know how you do that. Obviously, I'm not a pro player, but... Um, I think that if she can sort of zone that in, she Mm -hmm. will be a Grand Slam champion in the next 24 months. Two years. I was going to say two years. Agreed. Yeah. You know, again, to kind of connect with a a couple of common threads that we've talked about this entire season, when you take a look at someone like Ons, she is in the same category to me as Ash because they're so versatile. And... Is that right? They're so versatile. They're so multifaceted. Right. They're like not like Mugu. We're really dragging Mugu, eh? <laughs> We're just being honest. Like maybe, who knows? Maybe she's listening and maybe she'll learn how to drop shot after <laughs> this episode. But I mean, I think it is indicative of the kind of style that is winning women matches these days. Mm-hmm. It's no surprise to me that Anz is doing so well. And She's doing so well consistently, right? Yeah. If you take a look at her results the entire season, she's not this one turny wonder. You know, a hard-hitting player. Oh, perfect segue. We're going to talk about Ostapenko in 30 seconds. But Ostapenko caught fire because her game is all flat, and she just had a really great tournament. But she's kind of had a really not a very inconsistent year. But Ons has had, you know, has gone deep in many of the tournaments that she's played. So... I think that, you know, those players that have the courage to add more dimension to their game will ultimately profit from that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, players like Jabour, players mm-hmm. like Barty, they're mm-hmm. they're in it to win it. People have figured out Bianca, but once she gets back in yeah. form, people yeah. will struggle with her. I think yes. if Goff adds one to yes. two more dimensions to her game, she'll be hard to beat and yeah ostapenko if uh, we it, what, has it been 30 seconds <laughs> yeah yeah go go ahead it's okay um she is somebody who doesn't quite have 
those one or two additional dimensions and may never have them, but she will have <laughs> moments of fire where she yeah. will just blast the ball and beat you even though she'll hit more errors than winners. She'll mm-hmm. blast you off the court. It is rather amazing to watch. It is because to me, it doesn't seem like she's hitting any harder than anyone else on the women's tour, but she just takes the ball and just rips, rips it. You know, that match that she played against Shelby Rogers, even in her loss to Vika, she was, you could tell she was in a zone. She felt very free and like first strike tennis, whatever short ball came her way, she was ready to hit a winner. Mm -hmm. So um, okay, that's nice for her. <laughs> I was going to say I'm happy for her, but You're not. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> there was a point in that match. Yeah, I mean, the first set against Vika, she blasted her off the court. Like, Vika could do nothing. Uh-huh. Surprised she even won three games. Uh, but then she blasts and she misses, and that's yeah. where, where you have the opportunity against her. And that yeah. match was another unbelievable match. I was... Uh, watching it as I was packing for my trip and uh, mm. just I you know I know she's a hard person to like um, <laughs> but when she's on it's it, it, she's an impressive player to watch just for the sheer blasting and you know if you're c- going to compare someone to uh, Maria she's the one it, if not you know looks wise play wise um, I'm no, I'm not there with you. <laughs> That's okay, though. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so there's, uh, is there 800 other tournaments going on this week? There is, there is. There is the women are in two places, I believe. They're in <laughs> cold Moscow right. for the Kremlin Cup. Um, love the court. Mladenovic. I wonder if Kiki's there. I'm not sure. I haven't seen the draw. I haven't taken a look at the draw, but Kiki usually does very well there. But, you know, everyone loves to hate Kiki. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, I digress. And uh, I, there's a ter- tournament in Tenerife. Right. And the guys are in Antwerp. Yeah. Yeah. I, Andy Murray won today. Yeah. I saw um, Andy Murray beat Tiafo and it was noted on the headline that it was the longest longest three set match of the year. Oh yeah? Yeah. Okay. What is that? 3 plus hours it has to be. Th- it would have been 3 plus hours cuz I think Sitsi and Nadal in um Barcelona mm. was like 3 hours and 20 minutes or something ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we wanted to talk about two other issues. Shall we start with Djokovic? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. yeah. Okay, we can go there. I mean, Djokovic we is can go the there. yeah. Djokovic is the number one player in the world, so of course he's gonna be in the line of fire first. Uh-huh. I don't think he's the only player who maybe doesn't want to reveal their vaccination status because they haven't been. Uh huh. But um, you know, if you have been sleeping under a rock, then you may have missed that the <laughs> Australian Open is likely. And the Australian government and, you know, the, the Melbourne government is going to likely require players who come to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And that will cause some challenges for some players and some tough decisions about whether they get the jab. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to not slide down this slippery slope because there are so many avenues that open up in terms of discussions and conflicts and freedoms and rights and whatnot. Um, I just wonder whether a, a player that is unvaccinated can request to just have their tests done, you know, yeah. have tests like twice a day showing their um, showing their negative status to be allowed to play. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't delved deep into January quite quite yet, <laughs> but you know it would be interesting to know whether that option would be available to them. Yeah, I mean, just based on everything that I've read, it's looking less likely that they're going to allow players who are unvaccinated to come, or that there would be a process for unvaccinated players to be tested. I assume players who 
would go to Australia anyway, that there would be a bit of a testing regimen just to make sure, you mm-hmm. know, because yes. that once they test positive, they pull them out of these events. So yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Again, Djokovic is not the only player who I think has had or or maybe been more vocal about vaccine or vaccine hesitancy hesitancy Uh yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we'll see how that plays out yeah i mean i I think as we approach january um i mean i think it's reflected in so many places around the world i mean even here in toronto like we've recently passed the date where employers have required their employees to have to be vaccinated or else they're (laughs) they they don't go on they don't get paid for their job they don't go to their job Mm -hmm. so um yeah as things ramp up it'll be interesting how sport deals with it yeah honestly i'm neither here nor there i'm i don't know enough about the issue to have an opinion on it um because you know contrary to popular belief there are two sides to every story and we try to be as uh, we try to be as objective as possible and I don't want to use the word neutral because we, you and I both have our opinions, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, it would be precipitous for me to share what my opinion on that is without knowing all of the information first. But it is an interesting story to kind of lead into January. Yeah. Yeah, we have a couple months for that. Would you like to declare your vaccine status here on the show? <laughs> I am, yeah, I am double vaccinated. And if you want to give me a booster, bitch, <laughs> give me a booster. <laughs> My whole thing is I just want to return to normalcy. You know, if the vaccination offers normalcy, I am not a person that, you know, delves deep into the molecular structure of vaccines. I never did, never was. So why start now? Right. Is are my you, is my thing. Are you wanting Kim Nori to give you that booster or your ex boyfriend Cici Pass? Um, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be a no for both of them right now. Okay. Well, maybe um the next player we're going to talk about, Rune. He's too young. He's oh too my young. God. Okay. I'm a teacher. <laughs> gotcha. So we we will uh, we will take we will take that off the table and just talk about uh, his current anger and frustration with the tour. <laughs> yeah. So can I just set the story up? I was again on my way to work as I usually am at seven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> perusing through the IG, and I noticed that Holger. I want to pronounce his name properly. Is it Holger or Holger? Sure. Uh, Holger horses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For the correct pronunciation. Rune reshared our story. He had posted on his IG uh, frustration over the fact that rankings were frozen. Rankings have been frozen since 2019. So players that did well in 2019, those points were protected. And had those points not been protected... Rune, who's had a decent 2021, instead of being ranked something like, what, 172, was it? I think he said 124 or 122 okay. or something like that. He would be ranked 64 in the world. He'd be, he'd be ranked 64, and he makes a good point. I mean, this, again, has been a common thread in our podcast, a la Christian Harrison. Hi, Christian. You seem to be having a lot of fun, mm-hmm. walking your dog, hanging with Lou. <laughs> Taking nice. your clothes off, your shirt off. Regularly <laughs> yeah, more, in Florida. Thank you. We thank you for that. Um, you know, a la Christian Harrison, where players that are toiling on the tour need to have these opportunities to win matches, earn more money, fund their um, traveling around the world, and earn ranking points. And that impacts them in every possible way. So I can understand and empathize with Rune's frustration. Mm-hmm. And we can empathize because what we believe he is saying is true, but that doesn't mean we understand the point system at all. And we've been inviting people to come on, and he seems like the perfect person to invite on the show to explain it to us. Yeah, babe, we saw that you saw our stories, and we saw that you liked our stories, so just give us a time. Jason's on vacation, but he can make some time. 
Mm-hmm. I can make some time. Just tell us a day. Yeah, we'll we make got some that. time for sure. We love talking tennis and we love learning, particularly about the players who want to make their mark and are up and coming and uh, the challenges they're having. It's very um, fascinating element to being a professional tennis player that not everybody knows because they're following the top players and seeing how they're doing week to week, but we're mm-hmm. not seeing the the effort that all of these other players like Rune are trying to make and seemingly being pushed down arbitrarily because of ranking point rules that we don't understand. Yeah, we don't want these frozen ranking points to ruin your career. (laughs) (laughs) I pulled a Jason. (laughs) Too soon. Too soon. (laughs) Do you want to tee up our episode next week, which we pre-recorded? Uh, sure. I'm just going to say that I was completely hammed for that episode. (laughs) (laughs) So that means it's going to be really good. It's just going to be very, not that, not that our other episodes are, um, off the cuff. No, that's not the right word. Um, I was very free with my, (laughs) with my opinions of players. (laughs) (laughs) We had fun. It was a little bit, um of a departure from what we've done previously, but we just talked about tennis by posing questions to one another. So we hope you like it. Um, Mm -hmm. I have brought all of my equipment and editing materials to do things here, but we didn't want to record another episode next week. So we pre-recorded something and we think you'll like it. And we want you to tell us whether you do or don't, but only tell us if you do. Yeah, I mean, the results in Antwerp, Tenerife, and um, Moscow can just hold off for a week. Yeah. You know, like, we can wait. We can wait to see how well people do and whatnot. So Exactly. So we'll see you next week pre-recorded. Yay. Okay, bye. We hope you enjoy. (laughs) Bye-bye. We're here for your tennis-tainment or your tentertainment or whatever it is. But if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five-star review and like, share, and subscribe, and like such as. Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast.